Hello everyone and welcome to another episode in the Shared Ireland podcast series. Once again, due to the restrictions and safe social distancing measures around COVID-19, we'll be conducting today's podcast via phone. Um, As an experiment today, we're going to try a different format. We're going to break this interview up into two segments. So there'll be a part one, which you are listening to now, and then part two will follow in a few days' time. The thinking behind this is sometimes our interviews last for maybe an hour, even maybe 90 minutes, and it can be a lot to digest in one sitting. So this this way, you will be able to break it up um, for maybe more easy listening. So moving on to our guest today, he's an MLA and has been since June 2017. He's also his party spokesperson for health and he's also chair of the Assembly's Health Committee. Um, We also had the pleasure of speaking to his sister late last year in one of our podcasts. So it gives Shared Ireland great pleasure to welcome along Sinn Féin MLA for Fermanagh and South Tyrone, Mr. Colm Gildenew. Welcome along to the Shared Ireland podcast, Colm. Thank you very much. Thank you indeed. Uh, Colm, this is um, our first time we've had two members of the same family on our podcast, and I'm referring to, obviously, your sister, Michelle, which is currently the MP for Fermanagh, South Tyrone. Tell me this, have you any other family members we could maybe interview as well? Just, I'm thinking that would be actually a good quiz question sometime. Do you know of any other current families that have, you know, maybe one or two members in politics? Do you know? Um, well, I, I don't, I don't offhand. I know there, there are other, and, and, I, and I guess for similar reasons, there are other families who certainly have other people involved in politics, but I'm not sure if there's, if there's anyone who would have someone who's a, a sitting MP in Westminster and, and someone here in Stormont and someone at local council level. Oh, I'm just thinking about um, Nigel, Nigel Dodds. I'm just coming to think and Diane. Well, that's true. That's yeah. true. They, they did. I'm not sure if they were both in the two institutions at the same, but they certainly were in, I think Yes, yes, an interesting one. Tell me this, Colin, before we just kind of get into the nuts and bolts of today's podcast, how have you been coping with lockdown? Um, well, I suppose I've been coping pretty well in that it hasn't 
this was all emerging and sort of coming across the TV screens and across the world towards us. Mm-hmm. In my role of, of, of health spokesperson, it's been just absolutely non-stop in terms of work. Um, I've been lucky in the sense that I'm one of the few, one of the people who is just about good enough rural broadband to be able to do Zoom meetings and that from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also been able to travel in and out here of Stormont at times. Um, now, having said that, I would say it has probably taken its toll in terms of, of the family. I've often said to people over this past number of weeks, I've never been at home as much, but less there. Yes, you know what I mean? yes, I do. In that you're constantly responding to messages, working on papers, mm-hmm. you know, doing, doing, working on the representation, taking calls from constituents, all of that has continued. Not only continued to pace, it has actually ramped up and, and the boundary between home life and work life has actually in many ways disappeared. Yeah. And oh. that's been difficult, but I suppose we're, that, that, that involves many more people than me. And I suppose we're all hoping that at some point in time we will get to draw breath. But for now, and, and since this is, has commenced, I suppose, really, it's been a case of all hands to the pump and, and just dealing with the emergency and the crisis that it, that it is and that it has been. Yeah, understood, understood. Colin, we always start off every podcast by asking our guests to paint a little picture um, for the benefit of our listeners who maybe aren't overly familiar with our guest. Um, I suppose just what shaped your political thinking, your early years, that type of thing, if you don't mind. Colm, can I just um, interrupt you for one second? Did I hear you right there and saying that the allegation was nobody in the Browntree worked? So, so yeah, that's the type of family background tradition that you grew up um, hearing the stories of and obviously witnessed yourself. So I, I'm assuming that, or would it be a fair assumption, that Sinn Féin was the most obvious 
fit for your political aspirations? Okay, Colm, um, as I outlined in your introduction, you are Sinn Féin spokesperson for health and chair of the Assembly's Health Committee. So um, I would just, I suppose, like to date and timestamp uh, this recording. Um, it's now Tuesday, the 11th of June, and the time is 5.30pm. Um, the reason why I'm doing that is because I believe, Colm, you're just... I suppose an hour out of um, an executive meeting where you have discussed um, COVID-19 obviously and the possible relaxation of social distancing measures. Would it be possible, Colin, for you to give our listeners uh, a little bit of an update in regards to um, what, if any, relaxation measures are um, now uh, put in place, please? My apologies. My apologies. Now, just, just Colin, just to get this crystal clear, that's purely for people living alone, one occupant tenancy, is that correct? Yes, that's for people at this point in time, who only people who live on their own. Okay. And it's in recognition of the, of the uh, additional difficulties that, that those people are facing in terms of loneliness, in terms of social support and practical support. So that is only for that now. There has been a commitment from the executive that they will revisit the issue again on Monday. And mm-hmm. indeed, they continue to review all of these regulations very actively and very dynamically. So that will be reviewed. But for now, it's only people who are living alone. Okay, no problem. And anything else of any significance that you would um, has changed, Colin? And that'll be from that'll be from Friday the twelfth of June. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And 
And I, and I suppose, Colm, everything here moving forward depends on the R number. And just if you wouldn't mind for clarification, what exactly does the R number mean? And um, what are we currently sitting at? So as, as we move forward, we would like to see the R number obviously um, remain um, as it is, but hopefully even get lower and lower until it basically evaporates, I'm assuming, yeah? Just sticking, obviously, with uh, coronavirus, uh, particularly in your capacity as um, being chair of the Assembly's Health Committee, Colm, in your assessment as chair, how has COVID-19 been handled here in the north of Ireland? Uh, incorrect decision. 
should have continued with the, the World Health Organization were saying very clearly, test, test, test. Mm-hmm. And backed up with the test and then if they need to chase the contacts mm-hmm. that emerge from those positive tests and to isolate those people to prevent further spread and reduce that R number that we referred to earlier. Mm-hmm. Colin, just as a follow-up to that question, um, knowing what you know now, um, so with the benefit of hindsight, I accept that. Could you maybe outline what, if anything, you'd do different if you had it all to do again? Well, I think the, the earlier the earlier we had closed down the matter and we did we did get a, a start in that. I think um, we should have continued with the building ramping up the testing capacity and also the tracing that, that was uh, linked to that. Mm-hmm. And I think critically we should have. And, and there probably could have been more done for a protected care homes setting. Mm-hmm. And, and we have now we have now found that um, probably over half of the over half of the deaths from COVID nineteen here in the north will be in that care home setting. And I think the department, looking back with the benefit of hindsight, I think the department could have and should have potentially done more within that care home setting to to protect that very very vulnerable group who are vulnerable not just by, by, in respect of their age, which, which is a particular vulnerability in terms of this virus, but also the congregated nature of the setting meant it was going to be difficult to isolate people within those care home settings. You, you mentioned care home there, Colm, and um, the front page of today's Irish News, um, it states that health bosses told to admit COVID cases to nursing homes. Can you clarify anything around that? Yeah, it, it, it seems there was a letter um, issued to all trusts instructing them that where there, was a, where there was a positive test or people were awaiting the results of a test, this was not to delay discharge out to a nursing home or out to other settings. And I think that was um, something that at that point in time, there had been a series of plans made for around a surge and worst case scenarios, and those were those were appropriate in terms of at, at the time that they were set, there was that concern that, that the disease may have impacted many more people. Mm-hmm. However, at that time in April, there was some capacity within the hospitals, and I, I believe, and I actually had written to Robin Swan on the 23rd of April, asking him to consider that rather than discharging positive cases into nursing homes, or indeed people who hadn't had the result back and were potentially positive, that those people would be kept within the hospital setting for a number of additional days to ensure that they were COVID free. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was an area that I think could have been more attention paid to in the, in the early days. Mm-hmm. Okay. Colm, um, we are 19 minutes into this first segment of the podcast, so I'm going to finish this first segment on this last question, if you don't mind. Yep. And it's a, it could be a pretty big question, but you can take this wherever you want to go yourself. And the question is this, Colm, was there enough joined up thinking and cooperation island-wide here? And I suppose my question is a, is a pretty obvious one. Um, did the two administrations on the island of Ireland, um, you know, cooperate um, as best they could? And again, with the bend of hindsight, what do you think should and could have been done differently? Yeah. Well, I think there certainly were um, issues that emerged of difference that, that um, and we have 
committee from a panel of internationally renowned experts. And there's a wide recognition that in terms of virus and in terms of health, um, both human health and animal health, Ireland is, in fact, a single epidemiological unit. Mm-hmm. So that, that means essentially that, that viruses do not recognise borders, and, mm-hmm. and that is apparent to anyone who has dealt with pandemics or, or spread of virus in that sense. Yeah. So in terms of people travelling onto the island, in terms of the tracing, yeah, and, and what, what actually highlights this very clearly is the fact that the first case in Ireland was a person who flew into Dublin Airport and then travelled on public tra- transport back to their home in the north here. Mm-hmm. So that almost in a way encapsulates the, the difficulty that, that was not being recognised, but also the opportunities that could have been maximised in terms of us living on a small island. Mm-hmm. So there was there was some there was, there were differences in terms of times, in terms of when the lockdowns were done. There were also differences in terms of the self isolation requirements to the extent that if you lived, as, as has been pointed out, I think, previously by yourselves, if you lived in Lifford, you were asked to self-isolate for 14 days. If you lived in Stavon, literally two or three minutes walk away, you were asked to self-isolate for seven days. Yes. So the measures that were put in place were not in, in harmony to the extent they could have or should have been. And it caused confusion, I believe, within the community column as well. It caused confusion within the it, community. It caused confusion because people, and, and, and we know that people interact, you know, totally freely back and forward across the border. It's totally unconscious now. So people have multiple visits to parents, to shops and all the rest of it. And you're going one side and you're, you're seeing people are, are doing one thing and then on the other side of the border there's a different approach. And that did, that did create some confusion. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the, the lessons that has been learnt or certainly I hope has been learned and could be implemented in the future is that we need to see an all-earned approach to those types of issues mm-hmm. both in terms of the practicalities of them but also in terms of the communication and understanding and indeed acceptance of them because if people see one thing happening in Tyrone and another thing happening in Monaghan it undermines the, uh, the, the, the message in terms of what's the right thing to be doing and, and again uh, just for the benefit of um, some listeners um, that could be listening to you and I speak today that maybe aren't um, from Ireland. You know, even where you're from, uh, Colm, like, could you just um, describe how far do you physically live in your home area from the so-called border? And, and the reason why I would like to just um, explore this a little bit is to give people an understanding that, you know, people in the border areas do genuinely traverse through two jurisdictions, maybe upwards to 15, 20 times a day. Is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, no exaggeration to say that at all. I live about, about three miles from the border. Um, we go back and forward for, to the shops, the diesel. When I take my lads to the training for the under 14 or the under 11 training there, up at Offenfly, half of the team will be coming from any Vale or a Truk or that North Monaghan mm-hmm. and, and, and the other half of them will be coming from the South Tyrone end of things. Yeah. So where schools are open in one side and not on the other side, it obviously creates a, a significant but there's 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 multi multi, you know, visits across both socially, economically, 
in terms of how there's a there's a lot of different linkages whereby people would have a GP maybe on one side of the border, but would go to their local chemist or pharmacy on the other side of the border. That's right. Vice versa. We also have significant amounts of people who live on one side of the border and work on the other, who have parents, elderly parents on one side of the border and they live on the other. All those visits add to and just just a continuous back and forth across that border corridor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, Colin, that will uh, do us for the first part of this podcast. We're 25 minutes in. So, folks, um, stay tuned and um, don't forget to join in and listen to the second part of our podcast with MLA for Fermanagh South Throne, Colin Gilnew. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.